Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. Inevitable. The nothing personal word of the day is inevitable. Inevitable is when something happens and it guarantees the existence of the following action to happen or event or word or statement. Inevitable. The biggest inevitable is that the sunset follows the sunrise. The second largest current inevitable is that the NFL has a small problem. The problem is that when Colin Kaepernick started to take a knee during the anthem and there was blowback by owners, by the commissioner, there were fines that were threatened and in some cases levied, unsure if they were ever collected. Then when Colin Kaepernick was never signed again, never played again, it was inevitable that following more systemic racism, racial inequality, and police brutality, there was going to be a time when the NFL was going to have to deal with what to do during the national anthem, how to let the players express themselves, how to deal with their sponsors, with the owners and their beliefs. And there was going to be a conversation about this. What I did not see coming was that it would be today. But today it is. The debate has started. And it was started because one of the best quarterbacks of all time, and I use every word in that sentence purposefully. I didn't say one of the best men. I didn't say one of the best fathers, husbands, friends, one of the best quarterbacks of all time. You could argue statistically one of the best. You could argue he has a Super Bowl, maybe he's in the top 20, top 10. I'm not going to argue where Drew Brees stands in the pantheon of National Football League quarterbacks. But Drew Brees has had no problem both speaking up, talking about what he believes in, but then he's always forced to apologize for what he believes in except he ends up apologizing for his action or the discovery of his action, not for the reality of what his viewpoint means and the impact it has on other people. So let me catch you up. Drew Brees gave an interview, given a lot of interviews. And here's the thing. When you are on record and as an executive and as a player, we tell our players, you are always on the record. Even when you say I'm off the record, you're on the record. No matter where you are. And this is now with cell phones and recording devices. When, you are, when you're out at a bar, if anyone remembers what it's like to go out, a restaurant, in the clubhouse, on the field, anywhere other than the confines of your own home, which by the way, we learned with Donald Sterling that even when you say things in your own home, there is, if you are racist 
or other subject to other horrific viewpoints. It's horrific. It's not even the right adjective. Just unacceptable viewpoints. You're on the record. Drew Brees gave an interview and he said very simply when asked what his view was and what would result next season, 2020 NFL season, if players again chose to kneel during the national anthem. And Drew Brees went on to explain that he will never, ever approve or agree with anybody who does anything to disrespect, and I am just giving you the general view, with anyone who disrespects the American flag or veterans, and he went in to talk about his family, what the military means. He said he's brought to tears by the national anthem. By the way, Drew, many people are brought to tears by the national anthem, and it's not tears of joy, it's tears of sadness, tears of what could have been for them but never will be. Maybe that's changing. Drew Brees said that I will not permit anyone to ever show up the American flag and our country and the national anthem. And the response was immediate. It was visceral. It was correct. It was scary. It was sad. He has a teammate named Malcolm Jenkins who gave a quote and said, you're somebody who had a great deal of respect for, but sometimes you should just shut the F up. LeBron James continued to use his platform. Talked about veterans, people in the armed forces who have fought for our country, fought for our freedom, and explained once again to Drew Brees, Colin Kaepernick was not kneeling as an affront to our veterans. He was not disrespecting the national anthem or the flag. He was kneeling to bring attention to police brutality and the unbelievable numbers of deaths and injuries suffered by black people for no reason other than the color of their skin. The response was swift and Drew Brees had a problem. His teammates were going public about what he said. And this was not the first time that Drew Brees has had an issue like this, where his belief system has been put into question. It was right before COVID. And it seems like 10 years ago, but we're only talking about nine months ago when he appeared in a Focus on Family video. Focus on Family is a group. They are a far-right group. They condemn homosexuality. They view it as a sin. They view that transgenders are a violation of God's design. They are not very tolerant of anyone who doesn't look or feel or talk the way they do. He appeared in a video on their behalf, and it was all about bring your Bible to school. How fitting after a day in which the president brought a Bible and lifted it up like the Statue of Liberty lifts up her lantern, torch, light, holding the Bible, lifted it up, had his picture taken while protesters were 
parted like the Red Sea with tear gas. Interesting that Focus on Family is about bringing Bibles to school, not fully understanding, obviously, the difference between separation of church and state. And he was forced in September to apologize. And this is what he said. And I want to remind you, because this was before nothing personal started. Believe me, this would have been a topic. He said, hopefully this sets the record straight with who I am and what I stand for. Love, respect, and accept all. I encourage you not to believe the negativity you read that says differently. It's simply not true. Have a great day. My name's David Sampson. I get asked to do a lot of things for a lot of people, and I am at best a G-level celebrity, maybe H or I or J. Drew Brees is about an A minus B plus celebrity, gets asked to do a lot of things. When you agree to do something, the first question you ask, even if you don't have an agent, which he does, is, okay, who's this organization? Let's just do two minutes of checking, and then I'll give you an answer. Before appearing in a video, before retweeting a tweet, before agreeing to endorse a product or a person or a place or a thing or any such noun, you look to see what it is. Focus on family. He knew exactly what it was and their view towards homosexuality. He knew how right wing they were. And he said, love and respect and accept all. Well, I beg to differ. Fast forward. Drew Brees again shows a complete lack of understanding to the world. Tone deafness in a way that cannot be cured, in my opinion. It can be educated. It can be helped, and we can teach others to not be that way. But he did not expect what took place. And what took place was a wave of anger toward Drew Brees that he frankly was not used to. So he then immediately put out, this is what people are doing. You do a statement, you say something, you realize that it's not being taken very well, you realize that your livelihood's in jeopardy. And I said livelihood. I didn't say life. Your livelihood is in jeopardy. And you walk it back by running. He sent out an apology that's so long, it's, it's amazing. He, wanted, he apologized to his friends, teammates, New Orleans, the black community, NFL community, and anyone I hurt with my comments yesterday. Breaks my heart to know the pain I've caused in an attempt to talk about respect, unity, and solidarity centered around the American flag and the national anthem, I made comments that were insensitive and completely missed the mark on the issues we are facing right now as a country. He goes on. He stands with the black community in the fight against systemic racial injustice and police brutality. He supports the creation of real policy change. He condemns years of oppression acknowledges that he has not done enough to fight for that equality. Says what you have to say. I will never know what it's like to be a black man or raise black children in America, but I'll work every day to put myself in those shoes and fight for what is right. Drew, pay attention. No matter how hard you and I work, and we are not alike in any way, and athletic ability is not even what I'm talking about. You will never 
underscore, exclamation point, bold. You will never be able to put yourself in a black man's shoes, no matter what. You can devote your life to communication, education, understanding, compassion, empathy, sympathy, making change, working to effectuate change. But in the apology that must have been approved by you, your family, your agent, and everyone else, let you put the statement in that you'll work to put yourself in those shoes. Where is it in your apology that you talk about the national anthem? And that as part of your change and education, that you not only agree and understand with people who are kneeling for, before the national anthem, but that you are going to join them. You want to start making a difference with a statement, Drew? You say the following. I have now seen the error of the ways, not just today, but have really been the foundation of my belief system my entire life. My sensitivity was taught to me, and I have done nothing to try to re-educate myself. I am now clear as day that today is day zero in my life, where not only will I do more personally to be more inclusive and understanding of people whose beliefs I do not share or did not share. And it will start with the first time I take the field again when I kneel in unison and in unity with those players who believe that they have suffered and have suffered oppression, injustice, and systemic racism. My life starts over today. Thank you for the possibility of giving me a second chance to get it right. There's other areas right now that we have to cover. Because as the weeks pass and we see a seismic shift in the level of discussion, the type of discussion, the intellectual discourse that is taking place that I pray will take the place of any violent discourse. There are people doing statements in each show this week, and today is now, it's the third day of the show, third week of the, third day of the week. So this is the third show in a row when I'm talking, when I, excuse me one second. Today is Thursday. Today is the fourth day of the week where we have done statements and talked about people, players, companies, organizations who are making statements and trying to figure out a path forward. What do we do now to show our corporate social responsibility, our individual accountability? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
there was a statement made by the coach of a football team here in Florida. It's called Florida State University, FSU. It is a ACC school. It is uh, known as a football powerhouse. The name of the coach is a man named Mike Norvell. First year as a head coach, I think he came from Memphis. Young guy. Hasn't coached a game for the Florida State team. And I say Florida State team because I had a blank for a minute. It's the Florida State Seminoles, ironically. He sent out his long statement talking about his view and his feelings. And as a coach, he said, we've had a lot of open communication with our team, our players, and our coaches. I went back and forth individually with every player this weekend. And that was important to me because this is a heartbreaking time in our country. You see hate and you see discrimination. And he went on. There's one problem when you make a statement. You have got to make sure that what you say cannot be disproved by anybody else. You have to say the truth. It took only a few minutes for Marvin Wilson to stand up. If you haven't heard of Marvin Wilson, it means you're not watching enough CBS Sports HQ. Marvin Wilson is the a top 10 pick in the 2021 NFL draft. <clears throat> he plays defense for the FSU team. Projected to go number nine, fourth best defensive, fourth highest pick projected. Just an unbelievable player. And uh, he tweeted and said very simply, wow, uh, man, this did not happen. We got a generated text that was sent to everybody. There was no one-on-one -on -one talk between us and this coach. This is a lie. And me and my teammates as a whole are outraged, and we will not be working out until further notice. So you want to talk to Samson, how would you deal with the Florida State potential mutiny? There is a potential mutiny. There's a team meeting where they're going to have to have a release following the meeting today that everything's okay and they have found a path forward. But it doesn't change that what Marvin Wilson was saying in very simple terms is that my coach, my first year coach, said that he spoke to me and gave me a platform to be heard about what I feel, what I think about what's happening, and then did a statement saying that he did it and he didn't? It's hard. Marvin Wilson, what is he, Coca, 20, 21? He's a kid. And yet he had the ability to say what he felt and to call out and say, no, coach, you've got the wrong tone here. You used the wrong words. You didn't reach out to me. Don't send me a group text telling me all of these things that you're thinking and feeling that I'm here for you and then think that I took that as you reaching out to me. I've said it on nothing personal and I'll say it again till I'm blue in the face. Texting does not replace talking. You are not allowed and you can call me a boomer coca. I really don't care. I'm, I'm, I've had it. Things get lost in textlation every single day. And people say, yeah, I just spoke to him yesterday. Really? What does his voice sound like? Was he sad? Was he happy? Was he scared? Was he combative? 
Was he engaged? Well, I, I don't know. I, I, I texted with him. That's the same thing, texting and talking. It's not. If you're the coach of a team or the owner or the president and you want to have meaningful conversations with your players, you don't do it via text. You call them. You meet with them. You see them. You give them a chance for one-on-one. You're asking me at Twitter, David P. Sampson, and so you want to talk to Sampson, how I would deal with the Florida State potential mutiny? It's not only calling an immediate team meeting mandatory. They just got back onto campus Monday. I would deal with the mutiny by letting them mute. What is the verb? Coca, I'm having a moment. When you engage in mutiny, it's not mutant, mutiny, do mute. I tell the players, all people who have reported for voluntary workouts on the campus of FSU, you are encouraged and asked to report to the training facility today. And we will not play football. We will not work out. What we will do is talk. We will talk as a group. We will break up and break off and talk individually. We will sit there if it's a week, if it's a month. I don't care about a football game. I don't care about TV revenue. I don't care about one minute of it. This is not mutiny about team rules that the curfew is 2 a.m. This is not mutiny about an offensive coordinator who called too many pass plays instead of a run play. This is not mutiny because of a defensive coordinator who had the wrong system against Clemson and Trevor Lawrence. Long after the football careers are done for every one of these players, whether they get 10 more years in the NFL or they're done at the end of their college career, none of it matters. You sit there and you talk to them as a group and individually and have breakout sessions. You bring in experts and you engage in conversation and you don't stop until there is a level of comfort and understanding and there is a respect shown to the issues at hand. I promise you what Florida State did is they were in a panic with players walking out of practice walking out of workouts after they've been away for three months. We got to get them back. I've, I've seen owners do this before. We have a problem. All right, get them in, hurry up and deal with it, and then get back on the field. Hurry up. This is not one of those times. How would I convince the owner to allow me to treat the mutiny that way? The way I would is that I would say, that I recognize the importance of us getting back to work and practicing and playing. But believe me, owner and commissioner and GM, we will not be a team until we handle this issue that has been so pervasive and so ignored for so long, it stops now. So there's several ways that you deal with mutinies. This one comes with conversation and no practice and no sweeping it under the rug with some BS one hour team meeting. And then everyone coming out and saying, we've changed our mind. We're good. Everything's great. Total misunderstanding. We love you, coach Norvell. Of course, all of this is in the specter under the umbrella of COVID and the safety concerns, the anxiety, all of the true 
issues that we are facing, they're not being exacerbated. Let, let me say this, make sure I get it exactly right. As you know, we have no prompter here on Nothing Personal. I've got a list of topics and I got Coke in my ear when he's not sleeping or in the bathroom. Coca told me yesterday, by the way, that like 50% of the shows, he spends 25% of the time in the bathroom. I, I don't even get that. It's 45 minutes, Matt. It's like a child. Well, could you please go pee before we get in the car? I don't have to go pee, mommy. Just try. You bring the kid in, out comes the tinkle, and you get to go on the car ride. So all the anxiety that we are feeling right now, when you bring in what happened to George Floyd and what's happening in cities and countries around the world, you add that, which is just hundreds of years of built-up anger that needs to find a way, we need to find a way to change and get better and make it right somehow. And it's starting. And I really hope this is the day that it started on Monday. But you can't forget that COVID-19 is a part of this new world that we live in. And sports are trying to find a way to toe a line between the concerns of health of COVID-19, the desire to get back to some semblance of a normal, now realizing that everyone who wanted to get back to normal, they're now being told that the normal that you wanted to get back to is not normal at all. And if you thought it was normal, it was not normal. There's got to be a new normal, people would say. And people would say, don't tell me about a new normal. I want normal. I want my life back. Now maybe people are understanding how many people have wanted their lives back for how many hundreds of years. So politicians and team presidents, owners, leagues, university presidents, governors, mayors, they're all trying to figure out how to deal. And new announcements come every day. Today, Greg Abbott, who is the governor of the state of Texas, and don't think there are not political under currents to all of the COVID response and what's happening, because there are. This is an election year, and we're going to talk a lot more about the election on Nothing Personal as it approaches. A week ago, he said, we can now have sports. We said it on Nothing Personal. You heard it in episode something. 25% capacity. And started talking about how you would do 25% capacity. How do you choose 25% capacity? We talked about season ticket holders, group season ticket holders, etc. We then hear today, just now, that, no, we've changed it. You can now operate at 50% capacity in a week. Meanwhile, do we know for sure that cases aren't going up? Do we know for sure that there's no second wave? Is the second wave now? We may get more information because so many people are out doing and demonstrating and, and in groups well above what is allowed, and they're doing it correctly for a reason, those who are being peaceful and, and doing peaceful protesting. And now it's 50% capacity. So let me explain what that means. That means that the Cowboys can now be at 50% capacity. The Texas Rangers, the Mavericks, all of them can now, when they come back, be at 50% capacity. That makes a very big difference. Because now, is it possible that baseball can say, hey, Texas, you get fans. 
50%. Let's go. But sorry, New York, maybe not so fast. Are we going to be going state by state, city by city? If that is the case, the way baseball will have to negotiate is that there will have to be different rules of compensation for players, different rules of revenue sharing between owners, because some owners will have a chance to make much more revenue than others through no other reason than actually their governor and their rules. I mean, think about it. The Cowboys could have 40,000 people in one place. The Rangers ballpark is about 50,000 people. So that's 25,000 or 20, let's say 25,000 people in one place. It's outdoor. Does that help? Can there be social distancing in a ballpark with every other seat taken? No chance. There is no seating manifest that you can use that will make it that way. But if the rules are done in this sort of spotty way, one city says this, one team has that rule, one team has that rule. It used to be that all teams could try to sell out. And if you couldn't sell out and you could only sell 25% of your seats, you were operating at 25% capacity, you then were able to get compensated through revenue sharing. Now baseball is going to have to figure this out. Baseball could now trump, and I don't, pun not intended, they could trump the governor and say, listen, we're not allowing 50% capacity. Imagine allowing 50% capacity in the new Texas Rangers ballpark, but having players in the stands because part of the health protocol is that they can't sit together in the dugout. There is work to be done. I want to make a quick correction, if you don't mind. This was pointed out to me uh, by several people. First one was Matt. I talked about on Monday, I believe it was Monday, although I may have the complete wrong date. But uh, is that the first time I've ever called you Matt? He just whispered, you've never called me Matt before. It's true. I guess I always call you Coca. I'm feeling, I'm feeling soft and loving right now. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, Coca called and said, do you know that you gave to the Jackie Robinson Foundation as part of the ML Beer Challenge, except you kept referring to Sharon as Jackie's widow? Sorry. I know Sharon. Jackie's widow is Rachel. Rachel is 97 years young right now. Sharon is Jackie's daughter. Sharon is an employee at MLB and is a terrific woman who I have loved and been honored to meet, talked about and taught Jackie Robinson's core values. I apologize for that, Sharon. I know that you are Jackie's and Rachel's daughter, not Jackie's wife. So the beer challenge from day 81, I want to tell you how we're doing it. Just to remind you, 100 days of giving $1,000 a day. We did the first 77 days toward organizations who are helping people who have lost jobs or lost income because of COVID-19. Those are still very worthy and important causes. But we decided on Monday to change and pivot. And until day 100, we will give $1,000 away to organizations who are fighting to end systemic racism. 
and who are difference makers, opinion makers, and are trying to carry on what a fight that has been going on for hundreds of years. There's an organization today. It's called Campaign Zero. Campaign Zero is a company that an organization, if you want to give to it, whatever you're donating to, again, I've always said $19, a $1.90, $190, $1,900, $1 a day for 365 days. These organizations, all of them need help, and there's so much help that is needed across so many different areas. They put together a comprehensive platform. What they do is they use research, and they are using research to figure out new policies to end police brutality in America. So, for example, we hear a lot about cameras that are now live cameras on police officers. They've done research which shows that it actually may not stop police brutality the way at first you thought it did. They campaign zero are looking to find a way to provide tools to individuals so you can advocate also for your elected leaders to figure out policy solutions to end police violence. This is all about finding a way to end police brutality. If you are not understanding the reality of police brutality, then you are simply not understanding a huge part of the issue. It's like saying that you've taken an anatomy class, but you slept through the part where they explained what the heart does. Yes, I'm aware there's a fibia and a tibia. I even know what a phalange is. A heart? Nah, is that necessary? You can't deal with the issue of systemic racism if you're not understanding that police brutality is a part of it. And that does not mean that all police officers engage in police brutality. Campaign zero, it's day 81 of the ML Beer Challenge. I was in the uh, mood this week and I, it, it's, uh, I do this and I, I don't know why I do this. And no amount of therapy has been able to answer this question, so I'll keep searching. But there are times when I'm feeling so fraught with despair and helpless and feeling as though my I'm not doing enough that I want to feel worse and I want to feel uglier and dirtier and more angry instead of saying, no, I'm now going to watch a comedy. I will put on something that I know will make me feel angry because I want to be angry. So, I watched the entire miniseries called Jeffrey Epstein, colon, Filthy Rich. Let me just say, Jeffrey Epstein is every kind of monster that whoever your God is, it is inexplicable how this man could be created. My view of pedophilia, I've talked about, and I will continue to talk about racism, sexual harassment. It is disgusting to me when people in a position of power or a belief that they're in a position of power to use that power to ruin lives. Now, 
I want to make a distinction before anybody, including Ariel Helwani, gets to me. By the way, a very smart, interesting man. I debated him today. I don't know that it was a debate. We had a conversation. He's a big Montreal Expos fan. We did an hour and a half show. That's the local hour of the Dan Levitard show. It's available. Just like this podcast. If you've got this podcast on Apple, thank you for subscribing. By the way, get ready. We're going to have the mailbag episode drop on Saturday. All your questions that come when you rate five stars on Apple. Tell your friends about nothing personal. The bandwagon's getting bigger, and I take it seriously, and I'm appreciative, and I don't take it for granted. Jeffrey Epstein engaged in years, in years of sex trafficking and pedophilia. He got young girls, and he had a predilection of wanting to be massaged and have sex with young girls underage, under 18, 14, 15, 16. That was his sweet spot. There were people who absolutely knew what was happening who didn't stand up. It is a documentary that shows how Jeffrey Epstein did what he did. It had victims interviewed telling their stories. It had video. It had unbelievable incriminating evidence, depositions you haven't seen before. Jeffrey Epstein's dead. He committed suicide or he was killed. He eventually ended up being charged. There is a local Miami part of this story with Alex Acosta, who was the U.S. attorney in the Southern District, who chose not to prosecute Jeffrey Epstein when he should have, then became the labor secretary under the current president, then had to resign when it became clear that what he did with Jeffrey Epstein was untoward at best, illegal at worst. The miniseries will teach you that there are some men and some women and some people who will never have the ability to get better or change. And that the only way to stop them is to investigate, charge, give them their day in court, and then put them in prison and throw away the key. The number of famous people involved, you heard Bill Clinton, Prince Andrew, were all involved with Jeffrey Epstein. It makes it pretty clear that Bill Clinton was not involved with any sort of pedophilia, but he certainly must have been involved in understanding that there was some nefarious activities taking place on the old private island where he had been, but claims he'd never had been. There are people in the documentary who've seen him there. Doesn't matter. He's on the manifest of having been on Jeffrey Epstein's plane. Prince Andrew has a picture with an underage girl. Says, I've never, I was, I was having pizza with my kid that night. Here's the picture. I don't remember. I have no recollection. Maybe he doesn't. I get that. Here's what didn't fall flat for me. Prince Andrew takes 200 to 300 pictures a day. I have no doubt that he may not remember taking a picture with every one of the fans or women or men who meet him and want to take a selfie and a photo. I have no question. What he probably does remember is being inside someone else's house in a different city and having sex with that underage woman. Or maybe she was of age at the time. It's a documentary that you should watch, but it's not going to feel good. And it accomplished its goal with me because I didn't feel good watching it. I'm happy 
that he's dead. And I don't often say that. You don't hear me say that a lot. There's not one redeeming quality this man had. He ruined lives in a way. And the reason I brought up Ariel Helwani, Helwani is that I heard him as an Expos fan. I, in his mind, took away his team, hurt his childhood, hurt his adulthood, made him feel badly about having a team to root for because the Expos eventually moved. I get that. That's acceptable that I hurt him, and I'm sorry I did. That's an acceptable, that's business. It's what we talk about in this show. What Jeffrey Epstein did, there was no business about it at all. Jeffrey Epstein, Filthy Rich. Unfortunately, I'm telling you, you got to watch it. Okay. I want to do a, uh, a little thing here talking about Vegas because Vegas is coming back. I don't know if you're aware, but the casinos in Vegas, restaurants in Vegas, the clubs, the pools, the museums, everything shut down. One day, the strip went dark, done. Casinos are starting to open. Pretty exciting that Vegas has a hockey team they've done great called the Golden Knights. Baseball should have been the first team back to first professional team to expand or relocate to Vegas. The first team was always going to have a huge advantage. The Golden Knights have a huge following. They are doing very well as a team from a sports sponsorship standpoint, from a financial standpoint, a success story in hockey. Baseball was just too chicken to move to Vegas because of gambling. Of course, now everybody's embracing gambling. The NFL got smart and they moved a team to Las Vegas. They're now called the Las Vegas Raiders. Used to be the Oakland Raiders, then it was the Los Angeles Raiders, then maybe the Oakland Raiders again, now the Las Vegas Raiders. There's a stadium being built, and I didn't know the truth about it. I forgot the name of it, got it wrong, so I'm correcting. It's called the Legion Stadium in Las Vegas. That's another correction. And now I'm going to do a wait to see and talk a little bit about what's going on there and some of the issues during this shutdown and what happened. This stadium was supposed to open and be ready for this season. There is a major problem going on where construction had to be halted. They continued during coronavirus building Allegiant Stadium, got some sort of approval because it was in the best interests of the political community and of the construction community to get that stadium finished in time for an on-time start to the season, the 2020 season. Except workers started coming down and testing positive with coronavirus. They were all working close. I passed by workers running down here in Florida, in Fort Lauderdale. There's construction workers working. I'm thankful they're working. I'm appreciative of the fact that they're doing their job, but they're not wearing masks. They're not social distancing for sure. It makes me wonder, will there be spread, further spread? So construction was slowed down. The way it works when you have construction and a segment on Nothing Personal earlier this month, we talked about the additional cost of the LA stadium being shared by two teams in LA the Chargers and the Rams, how they needed an extra $500 million because of overruns. There are overruns in the Vegas stadium as well. And the reason why is that there's a deadline by which they've got to get the ability to open. 
the way it works when you build a stadium is you get permits and as you are finishing parts of your building, there are permitting people who you hire really to be full-time permit expediters. You make sure you've got representatives of the county or city and permitting even locally uh, uh, happens. You, you have professionals come in, they look at the work that's done, they sign off, and then you get to move on to the next part. Before anyone can come into your stadium without a hard hat, you need something called the Temporary Certificate of Occupancy. It's called a TCO. A Certificate of Occupancy is when you're done. Construction's done. You've gone through the punch list at the end, all the things that were wrong. You fix and you get your permanent Certificate of Occupancy. The temporary one is what you need to get people in the door and to start hosting games with a path toward a final CO, it's called. Workers are working very hard. The owners of the team are working very hard because they've got a game starting against the Niners on August 21st. August 21st is two and a half months away if the NFL starts on time. The good news is that there will not be people at the August 21st game, and I'm willing to tell you in a wait to see There will be no people in the stadium on August 21st. And it won't be simply because of COVID-19. It will be because the stadium will not be ready to have people as fans. The stadium will have a TCO and allow for a game if games are happening. The clubhouse will have the TCO, other areas where players and security will be. But the bowl itself the area where fans would congregate. It will not be ready. That's why there will be no fans in the stadium on August 21st. That's a wait to see. And when you're paying overtime to get that CO, you know better than just about anyone in anything in any way that it's just business. This is nothing personal. 